0: Thank you. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be talking about digital fashion. Will we soon live in a world where people are willing to pay for clothes that only exist in digital form? To discuss this, I'm joined by Carrie Murphy, founder of The Fabricant, the world's first digital fashion house, and Leanne Perotti, Stylus' own Assistant Editor of Fashion. So first of all, let's uh, find out what digital fashion really is. What does it mean?
1: Well, it's a fairly broad term, but for us, digital fashion is the full digitization of the fashion industry. While we're truly focusing only on the digital aspect of fashion, we also provide tools for fashion brands and retailers to actually help them in their design processes, in their marketing processes, in their virtual fitting processes. Uh, So it's yeah, it's it's a very very broad term, and for. What truly excites us about digital fashion is the digital-only fashion industry itself, meaning that we don't make physical clothing, we only make digital clothing.
0: So who wears this digital clothing?
2: Well, so I guess we're talking about clothes that only exist digitally, that are created digitally then, and also worn digitally, like you're saying, clothes never worn on the physical body. So... We're looking at this in terms of image and e-fitting to people's images. Is this right?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's one aspect of it, of course. Um, I, I think we're truly focusing focusing on our virtual existence, you know, like, like social media, for example, or us just being o- online. How is that usually uh, represented? Basically, it's just a profile picture. Uh, I think that's, you know, the... The very crude form of our virtual presentation, and I think the next step in that existence is to actually have that three d body or a two d body. How will you create that two uh, d body how will How will you clothe your three d body that 's the question that we 're trying to answer by making digital only clothing and I think the the best example that I can give you. Is uh, Fortnite this game where kids are just buying digital-only assets? They, they their revenue is over three hundred million a month. You know this is digital only. You know something that you don't uh, uh, you don't you don't possess in a material world. So they're buying
0: they're buying digital fashion for their avatars or the characters they're playing in the game.
1: I, I honestly wish I knew because uh, so I have Fortnite on my on my mobile phone. I have it on my PC, but I haven't really had the the, the chance to play it yet to truly understand what 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 are they buying. But yeah, they are like skins. So like like Nike just had a collab with uh, with Fortnite yes. where they're bringing in the uh, you know exclusive shoes into the game, and this is like kids are going crazy about this. Um, yeah. So
2: these are in in drop collaborations. Um, so you can uh, your characters with Nike, you can download two new characters and they're wearing Nike shoes. So we've spoken a lot about the popularity of esports at Stylus and it's really interesting to see gaming culture infiltrating the fashion industry more and more with these kind of brand uh, collaborations and in-game product placements.
0: So with The Fabricant, how, how did you decide to get into this line of business? What's, uh, what, what were your motivations behind forming The Fabricant?
1: Well, it was a, a series of very serendipitous moments um, where basically my background is in film and visual effects. I worked in the advertising industry. Like most people working in advertising are trying to figure out how to get out of advertising. I was one of them. Uh, but I have a fairly broad skill set from uh, you know, the v- film and visual effects tools. And w- something that was always a problem with film and visual effects is clothing. And now because of new tools coming from the fashion industry itself, clothing actually became quite easy to 3D model and and to simulate. The 3D simulation meaning how the clothing moves. Uh, Because of these new tools I just started playing around with them and through that I got in touch more and more with the fashion education and I came across a few designers who were doing digital-only fashion design and we started collaborating and that collaboration led me to go further, deeper into the fashion industry itself to truly understand the ecological, the cultural and the socio-political challenges that the industry is facing. And having that experience from the film and visual effects industry where I, where I entered it right in the middle when film was, you know, people were still talking about what's better, you know, analog or digital film, that conversation doesn't exist anymore. And back in the days, uh, oh, oh, sorry, like... The, where fashion industry is right now is at the beginning of where film and visual effects industry was in the early 90s when it was just starting to digitize. So it's like, I feel like I have a crystal ball into the future just by looking at my own experience from the film and visual effects industry and seeing the capabilities that it allows for fashion. And so we're just using those examples, we're looking at what kind of tools, what kind of things can we create to uh, provide value for the fashion industry. One of them just happens to be digital-only assets because there's so many platforms where you can buy 3D models and any type of other digital-only assets that actually provide value for the film and visual effects industry, 3D hobbyists and beyond. I think, I,
0: <coughs> sorry. I think I'm right in saying that is it the Avengers, the, none of the actors are wearing the, the costumes, they are all digitally placed on them afterwards.
1: Uh, y- yes and no, uh, it's a... Uh, it's a mixture, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. T- it's a total mixture. So if you look at some of the green screen footage that they have, they might have uh, parts of the clothing. But let's say, um, you know, if there's you know something that's not physically possible to do, they'll definitely do that in visual effects. Or oh, anywhere where the digital simulation, the, the clothing simulation, will actually be faster, more cost-effective, or create a better result... You know, mm. that's where they'll actually use 3D. And that's also our question. Where does 3D actually provide value for the fashion industry? Especially when looking at digital fashion design. Well, it's those things that you can't photograph, the things that you can't uh, film. It's the things that are totally physically not possible, it's like reversed gravity. Or, you know, we talk about wearing waterfalls or shards of light, these type of things. I mean, that's a little bit more crazy thing, but how do you, how do you still... Bring the aesthetic and the, the beauty of fashion into these concepts. So this
0: is a key question, Leanne. What, what is the purpose of digital fashion? What is the what is the value that's being driven here?
2: I think there are a couple of aspects to this. I, it really challenges traditional notions of of ownership. Uh, what it means to buy own and wear clothes. It throws up a lot of interesting questions. Fashion is is very much an embodied practice. So it's interesting to think uh, how our digital fashion selves sit alongside our more physical material clothes that we wear. But it's another way of using clothes to define your identity. Um, There are no physical boundaries, like like you're saying, to, to creativity here. So... Virtual identities, I guess, are already curated to a point. So digital clothes take this to another level, don't they? It creates a a real space of play and and freedom. And I guess it creates another market as well.
1: And and beyond that as well, it it becomes a safe space where you can actually try on things that you would never actually try on in the clothing store. Uh, For for me as well, my first uh, experience was when I got a, a body scan of myself. So I have my digital twin and I asked two different fashion designers to put digital clothing on me. Both of them put clothing on me that I would never, ever feel comfortable wearing in real life. But then when I saw myself, you know, dancing because I had motion capture on myself with this clothing that I would never, ever wear, I started thinking like, what if, you know, why wouldn't I, why would I not wear this in real life? Because it kind of. I start thinking about myself differently. How would I create my identity differently? So it's, it's definitely a safe space to be uh, exploring your own identity, you know, much, much further than we're capable of doing in our real lives.
0: So we've talked a bit about Fortnite and gaming um, and a little bit about social media, but how else are, is the general consumer um, coming to your work? How else do they find and, and use this digital fashion?
1: Well, we are, we're still a B2B company, uh, so basically we just service brands and retailers. Uh, but we just sold a, a digital garment uh, four weeks ago for $9,500. And basically this garment was bought by a CEO of a blockchain company who bought it for his wife. So what we're doing this week is we're dressing a picture of his wife that is basically only a picture. You know, she will never ever actually get the clothing in in her in her real life but she can put it on her instagram you know she can post it on her wall she can put it on any social media channel yeah okay it, it kind of still exists on that gimmicky level but it's also up to us to start providing value start making value of you know how, how do our virtual existences actually exist together with our physical existence and those th- two things that that Definitely starting to kind of blur through each other and becoming one. Uh, So that's, uh, let's say, the first big step has been taken, which I thought will only, you know, be years and years from now. And basically it already happened last month. And the next step is like, how can we actually provide uh, access to the mass population to be able to wear our digital clothing? And that's coming up in October.
2: Because we have seen a desire for this as well elsewhere. There's the Norwegian brand Carlings, who had that 19 um, piece collection, genderless, digital yeah. only clothing um, that uh, was then digitally tailored in a, in a similar way yeah. to, to people's images, and that sold out in a week. Yeah. Um, so well,
1: basically, they had a quota for every single day, and every single day it was sold out.
2: So there is that desire there.
1: Yeah. yeah. So they, they truly started that
0: movement. Let me just stop there and, and ask you about this concept of selling out, because how do you sell out of a, of a digital piece of fashion?
1: Well, I think we, what, what, what happened with links, uh, because it's not a, a scalable operation right now, so you need, you need manpower. So at some point you just don't have enough manpower to be able to do that because it's quite an acquired skill set. And uh, secondly, what blockchain actually allows for is to create that unique uh, identity around that one garment so you can make these one-offs. I mean, the di- digital file, of course, can be um, copied an infinite amount of times, but that's where the, the uh, conversation of um, ownership comes in. You know, what what is ownership in our digital existence, especially when uh, put into the blockchain technology?
2: I think... Um Thinking about this in terms of the fashion industry, you're talking about desire for exclusive, unique and limited edition product, which are are real traditional drivers for this industry, Um, particularly at a luxury fashion level as well. So that's what makes this really interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's some uh, really... um fantastic startups in this space. One is called Luxo. they're based in Berlin, and this this is exactly what they're doing. They're providing a a blockchain-based platform for fashion and luxury industry, which allows for these unique items and uniqueness is desirability. Scarcity is desirability. And, you know, basically allows for the fashion industry to operate exactly as it does in real life in the virtual existence.
0: So on previous podcasts, we've talked a lot about um, the challenge of sustainability in fashion, uh, I, I sense that this is potentially one, one answer. I mean, obviously, we are talking about clothes that do not have to be physically made, so there is a sustainable element here. How, does that, how do you think that will develop?
2: I think there, there are two aspects to this sustainability um, kind of element. I think part of the appeal, like we've been saying with digital clothing, is potential to tackle overconsumption behaviours, that outfit of the day, Instagram culture, so with that almost unsustainable desire for newness, as so creating digital only collections. It's actually interesting, there was a, a survey commissioned by Barclaycart uh, last summer which revealed that shopping habits are actually changing to meet the demands of online images with nearly one in ten UK shoppers uh, admitting to buying clothing only to photograph themselves in it for social media and then returning it uh, back to store after they've captured themselves online. So Certainly, digital clothing is a really innovative solution in terms of uh, sustainability from that point of view. But also, and it would be interesting to get your thoughts on this, Kerry, another area that's interesting to think about is how to design and produce physical clothes with a view to reducing and potentially eliminating fabric waste. So how even at the... The product design stage, product teams um, leveraging digital tools to create realistic three D samples, for example, yeah. removing the need for numerous like back and forth uh, prototypes um, at that design stage when perfecting the product, or or even uh, developments in three D body scanning with a view to our own avatars, um, catering for bespoke fit um, and more sh- a more streamlined shopping experience. They're so bringing it maybe into the physical. World of Fashion.
1: Yeah, so that's the production on demand model. Yeah, basically that you're looking at a digital clothing, um, let's say on Farfetch or something like that, and you're looking at a digital image and you say I want that, and as soon as you've purchased it, uh, the manufacturing starts. So that's how you uh, get rid of you know sampling overstocks, uh, this type of things. I mean, and this is what brands they recognize this. But it's very, very hard for them to actually change that because the supply chain is very fragmented and it's very long and they don't speak to each other very well. Uh, so let's say smaller brands are, are capable of doing that. But if anybody's really doing that, no, I, I honestly only know one example of where a uh, fashion brand is you know, doing the production on demand model. And also what's really cool about them uh when, when they start selling their digital item, it's uh, priced at sixty percent of the retail price. When it's when it's in manufacturing, they're pricing it at eighty percent of retail price. And when it's actually been stocked up in the hangar, that's when they're uh, selling it for hundred percent of the price. So it kind of allows for like these radical ways of thinking, like how to, yeah, price yourself differently. Plus, you know, like you were saying, uh, it just yeah, it gets rid of so many costs. It's the gets rid of the you know, a lot of the pollution side of the fashion industry. Um, so there's there's so many quite easy ways of actually looking at the, the value that a digitization can provide. Now, actually executing those concepts becomes extremely difficult, especially the bigger the brand, the slower they move and the. Less they actually want to do that. They all recognize it, but you know if they're really doing anything about it, is something different.
0: I wanted to ask you about you know working with with other fashion brands and what their reaction to this is. I mean, what 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 response have you been getting from more traditional fashion brands?
1: Very different ones. Um, so we're working with a very famous Italian brand right now that also recognize the need uh, to digitize. They just don't know how to do it. Uh, so that's why they kind of cut, is, cut us in. They say, okay, we have our go-to-market meetings. Uh, the problem is, like, met, our samples are always in wrong color or there's something wrong with it. So actually, we want to show uh, all of our clothing digitally because then we can take the, those digital products and bring it into our in-store experience, put it into our uh, social media channels and put it, put it on our website. So basically, they want to streamline the whole process from internal communications to client-facing communications. Um, Then the other brand that I was just talking about that has the production on demand model is a small uh, Swedish company called Atakak and basically it's two guys. One guy is a fashion designer, other guy is uh, a 3D designer and combining their forces uh, they've been able to create this new type of business model which makes perfect sense to me Um, but Yeah, if you're a massive brand who's been working in the exact same way for decades, uh, I'm sure that's very, very hard for them to change. And then another great example is uh, PVH, uh, Tommy Hilfiger and CK in Amsterdam. We're working with their um, innovation startup called Stitch. And Stitch is trying to uh, completely digitize the full supply chain from where all the designers design digitally and those digital files become their digital phone boards that goes into their uh, sketch reviews. Those sketch reviews become their uh, you know their market reviews, go into the selling process and from their uh, consumer facing to marketing. That's what they're trying to create. Um, where we're hitting a wall is to c- connect the design department with the marketing department because those two departments don't talk with each other. And by providing the visualizations that we do, We're trying to show the power uh, to the design people. It's like, hey, if you design digitally, this is what you can do in the end. And then showing the marketing people, hey, you know, if you guys get the designers on board, you can actually talk to them before any of the designs are being made. So you can start coming up with the creative decisions. But basically, to be able to uh, digitize, let's say, the fitting stage, the marketing stage, and all the other uh, different parts, it all has to start with the designer. The designer needs to be uh, using 3D tools, you know, to be ma- to be making these 3D assets, because otherwise it becomes extremely difficult, you know, if, if a brand comes up to us and says, like, all right, we want to do digital, uh, you know, a really cool digital experience for our clients, but they don't have any digital patterns, you know, so then we have to go through the paper patterns, we have to, you know... Uh, Create the patterns digitally, make the three D three D object from those patterns, and that process takes a long. It it you know it's uh, very expensive, so that's where a lot of brands are just like yeah they don't want to jump on board because they have to make their margins.
0: So you mentioned earlier this idea of people wearing waterfalls and so on. Um, what is the you know what is your kind of like crazy most crazy imaginings for how this could go in the future?
1: Huh, good question. Um, so if if we are to talk about our 200 year vision um, it, it basically would be that everybody's wearing digital clothing in real life so you have some type of augmented reality contact lenses glasses and we are only wearing bodysuits and you know on top of our bodysuits we have a digital layer of existence uh, this this is basically exactly how our creative director talks about it because she absolutely loves the the idea of us wearing holograms in the future it's just like for me, like I'm not excited by the idea of a hologram, but then when we change, change that word into a virtual layer of existence you know, that's on top of our physical existence, I think that's when we're getting rid of the technical barriers and being able to imagine that actually we can all be wearing only layers of bits and bytes on top of our bodies. And then another aspect of that is the body positivity aspect. Uh, because number one question we get, okay, well, what if your clothing gets hacked, you know, somebody, somebody, you know, cyber attacks your clothing and you don't have clothing anymore and there you are standing in your bodysuit, you know, basically naked. The aspect of that is like that we just have to accept our body types much, much better and not use clothing to hide our bodies, but, you know, use, it, uh, use the, the digital clothing to only curate our identities exactly in the way that we want while still being super positive about the type of body that we have. Great. And what about you,
2: I I think this will not only um, have impacted the way that we design and, and produce clothes um, and, and thinking about that um, in, in more sustainable ways as well, but also how we consume and uh, engage uh, with fashion. And I, I think we can see now that younger generations are in particular are so immersed in in digital communities and, and virtual ways of expressing themselves through multiple digital personas in online video games and social media. So it, it's Thinking in the future, is this what younger generations are going to be investing their money in? Digital clothing, I, I, I see that as a as a real possibility. I think in terms of more um, more tangible um, uh, tangible areas now, I, I think this technology can can really work for for retail as well. Um, something that we we do speak about on, on stylus So um, yes, I think there's lots of uh, different applications for this. Yeah, exactly.
1: Last year we worked with a Hong Kong retailer, where we basically made a lot of digital clothing that they sold in in their physical stores. So the only purchasing point that their audiences had was to look at a digital animation of a clothing, and here you are buying a fifteen fifteen hundred euro jacket, and you know you're only basing your purchasing decision on an animation, and you you're not you know you can't fit it you can uh, you, you can't touch it you have no idea how it actually feels on your body you know so it's, it's, it is crazy that these types of um, uh, experiences can exist in this day and age because th- these kids they just have like especially the ones with the purchasing power they're fearless they don't care they're all more about the experience rather than having a really cool functional piece of clothing that just feels good on their body
2: and keeps them warm. I think it's interesting to think about that in terms of millennials and and Gen Z represent the future of of the luxury market. So there was a a UBS uh, Group AG survey that shows that 85% of the sector's growth in 2017 stemmed from 18 to 35-year-old consumers. And this group will represent forty-five percent of total high-end spending by twenty twenty-five. So, can you imagine um, luxury fashion houses how they could integrate digital assets into their offering? Like, imagine being able to buy a, a digital Dior bag or a digital piece of clothing from Louis Vuitton uh, it could add a new dimension to, to the yeah. luxury sector.
1: And I think brands are quite uh, they're capable of seeing this future. Uh, a lot of the discussions that we have, they do get excited by the idea of only doing a digital drop, you know, because they understand, you know, the Fortnite example. They, they, they understand that these kids are so digitally savvy that they find so much value in these uh, assets. And then another uh, uh, example that I have that I just recently came across, StockX, you know, the, the secondhand market for, for shoes, that they, they actually sell shoes that have never been worn. Uh, in a second-hand market. So the person who buys these shoes receives them at home, you know, perfect state, and because they don't want to ruin the shoe because it has so much value, they'll actually put it in their closet. So what's what's the difference in owning something digital that you can actually put on your social media or you can even have your own digital closet where you can show off your stuff to your virtual friends rather than, you know, it's just kind of sitting on your closet and you inviting your friends over and be like, hey, Look at this cool shoe that I have that's just sitting here. So that, that I, I think that market already exists. It's just we just need to look, you know, of all those different uh, angles that where we, digitization actually brings value into it and doesn't make it just another gimmick.
0: Well, speaking of someone who only has two pairs of shoes, uh, this future sounds incredibly exciting. Um, Thank you very much. That was one of the most fascinating and and mind-blowing conversations we've had on this podcast. I'd like to thank my guests, Kerry Murphy and Leanne Proddy. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. If you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.